Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Approaching the Presence by Pastor Sean Wood. How great is our God? We believe that this morning. Lord, as we open your word, may you open our hearts. We need Jesus. Open our eyes and open our hearts, I pray, through your word today in your wonderful name. Amen. 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 Got your Bibles, like to meet me at Exodus chapter 19 this morning. Thank you again to those that filled the gap while I was away and took up the uh, Exodus series, uh, beginning with Liz uh, way back in February. So thank you for those, did a great job. Um, And... uh, Thank you for those that filled the spot. We make our way today to Exodus chapter 19, and I'm excited uh, for the message that is for us in Exodus chapter 19. And uh, <clears throat> just so that we're clear, I don't tell anybody what I'm going to preach about on Sunday. Uh, sometimes my wife asks me, hey, listen, what are you speaking about on Sunday? And I always say the same thing, the Bible. Just... <laughs> So, just so that we're clear, but we will see that the Holy Spirit is weaving a common thread both through the worship and through the communion and through the message this morning. Uh, the question I have for everybody this morning before we go any further is, are you a base camp Christian? We will see today that Israel approached the mountain of God. And how sad it is, uh, let's talk about a few elephants in the room, Uh, how sad it is as we make our way through this chapter that we find Israel never ventures beyond the bottom of the mountain. There's a reason for that, and we're going to get to that in a moment. There's a lot the Lord that wants to reveal and show us in this passage, but there's an elephant in the room. While Israel is stuck at the bottom of the mountain, Moses is racking up frequent flyer miles between the bottom and the top. Three times in this chapter we read, Moses went up. What was different about Moses? Was it that he was just some super holy kind of guy that, you know, he was the super anointed special guy, he was the one that was granted special permission? No, God's heart, before we go any further today, God's heart is for every one of us to occupy the top of that mountain. But how sad it is that many of us Settle for base camp. It's not that we haven't known the Lord. It's not that we're not in a relationship with the Lord. It's it's not that we don't love Jesus, but we're happy and we're content at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, We will see today that in Exodus 19, God sets up parameters and he sets up exclusion zones. More about that in a moment. But I believe today that those parameters and exclusion zones still exist, but I wonder who's putting them up today. And we're going to answer the question today, what was it about Moses that allowed him to go back and forth? Here's something you need to know about Moses. He was just as sinful as as everybody else in Israel. He made just as many mistakes as every single person in this room. You might be sitting here today going, I'm not worthy for the top of the mountain. You don't know what I've done. God wouldn't want to bring me close. I have to stay at distance from God. I want to tell you that today the Bible is filled with broken people that God worked through. You just happen to be another one of those broken people that God is putting back together. 
far too long and for far too often, we as the people of God have settled for base camp. And, and God wants to show us a number of things in this chapter. Today we're going to learn a lot about God. God wants to reveal a lot about himself in this chapter. We will see a lot revealed about us in this chapter. And we will see a lot revealed about church. My heart for church is packed in this chapter. This is the first time in scripture that all of God's people are congregated together in one place at one time. That's church. Moses had the biggest church, two million people. Let's begin at Exodus chapter 19 verse 1. And as we make our way there, for those that have been tracking with us, for those that have been sharing in Exodus in the last few weeks, we know that Israel come out of Egypt. I love how Chuck Swindoll, when he did a series on Exodus, uh, Sister Robin, uh, Chuck Swindoll highlighted that series from wanderers to worshippers. Isn't that all of our journey? God taking all of us as wanderers and transforming us into worshippers. And that's the story for Israel, bringing them out of Egypt. Speaks about our own journey and more about that in a moment. And of course, we come out. Uh, just a quick note before we get to the end part of this chapter. Uh, Liz did a beautiful job of covering the Passover in chapter 12. But just so that we're clear, when uh, Israel applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts, who were they getting protection from? God. Same today. We are under the blood of the Lamb. Praise his wonderful name. And if you're not today, please don't leave here until you are. And so now we come on their journey from Egypt through the Red Sea. I love the story of the Red Sea. Why? Because God is a way maker. God will always make a way. Uh, the Israel in chapter 14, Israel were placed in what I like to call a divine dilemma. They had a dilemma where on one side they were confronted with the Red Sea and on the other side they were confronted with the Egyptian army pursuing them. And they were in a dilemma. They had no way out. A divine dilemma is when you're in that position and God's put you there. <laughs> you read early on in that chapter that God led Israel that particular way. Why? So that they will know there's only one way out and that's God. He parted the sea, they come through the sea, they eat bread. By the way, it's only three days after they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground that they're grumbling about being hungry. (coughs) As we approach chapter 19, they've now reached, God was always bringing his people to himself and now they come to the mountain. Chapter 19, verse 1, we're going to start to unpack what it is that God wants to reveal to us. And there's some people here that need to hear the message of chapter 19 today. On the third new moon, three months. Uh, For those that fish amongst us, the new moon's the time to go fishing, right? Last week was the new moon. Uh, If you're a fisherman, you know the lunar cycles. And if you don't, you should. 
because you can increase your catches on the new moon. After the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. I just want to press the pause button for a moment and I want to take a flashback to chapter 3 verse 12 and I want to declare today that these verses uphold the truth that our God is an awesome, glorious, promise-keeping God. You see, back in chapter 3, verse 12, he tells Moses, I'm going to ask you and Aaron to go back and I'm going to tell you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go and all my people are going to be delivered from Egypt. And as an added bonus, they're going to be so glad to get rid of you that they're going to give you all of their riches. God's got to be in that, right? And then he says to Moses, and here's the sign, you shall worship me, you and Israel shall worship me at this mountain. Now, imagine being Moses in chapter 3. Imagine thinking, how on earth is this ever going to happen? How on earth is God going to get Pharaoh to let my people go? How is, how is Moses, Moses thinking, how is God ever going to bring us from Egypt to here? Two million. How is God going to feed us and sustain us? Imagine all of the hurdles running through Moses' mind. And what do we learn about God before we go any further? Our God is an awesome God. He will make a way for you. He will keep the promises for you. There are people here today that are praying for their children and praying for their family members to come to Christ. I want you to know today, you may in your mind have no conception of how that could happen. My God is a way maker. Yes. And many other promises that God has for us. Our God is a promise keeping God. Move on, verse 3. Here we read, while Moses went up to God. After reading this chapter, I, I was really, really challenged and I've decided and I have resolved I no longer want to be a base camp Christian. I don't want to be somebody who hears about God. I don't want to be somebody that simply admires God from a distance. I don't want to be somebody that tells me where everybody else is telling me of the wonderful relationship and how closely I was God. I want to be a man of the mountain of God, of the presence of God. Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, uh, I'm going to digress and press the pause button for a moment. Uh, we can get, when, when we talk about preaching and stuff like that, for those that aspire to, to, to share God's word, there isn't a degree of better preachers or worse preachers. Sometimes there's better sermons. I can get that. But here is the mandate for anybody that feels that they are called to share God's word. You must be a man or a woman of the mountain of God. The mandate to share God's word is to come from the mountain with a word from God. Moses shows us that straight away. The Lord called to him out of the mountain. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He is our redeemer. Uh, uh, I love this verse. You might be flicking back to records. Hang on a second. I don't see any mention of an eagle here. These guys walk. Now, of course, it's metaphoric. And the term, I brought you to myself on eagle's wings is, hang on a second, how much effort did you put in? I love that song by Iron Bell. He is the God who saves. 
I love the testimony of Paul the Apostle who said, I found Christ, talking to the Galatians. He says, but in reality, I was found of Christ. My testimony is a testimony where God took me out of a very nasty situation and brought me to himself. And I could never have imagined how he would have done that. I could never have constructed that in my own. Imagine being Israel, lost in slavery for some 400 years. How is God ever going to get us out of this? They could not have imagined it was going to happen this way. But there was a moment when God brought me to himself and I was confronted with the reality of Christ. And I knew that God had found me. I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if... Here's what I love about God. Our God is a covenant God. This, the reason that this word is in the Bible is the reason that I can't be a Calvinist because the word if is in the Bible. If you will, I will. The Bible is filled with covenant promises for us. We have wonderful and glorious covenant promises, but we serve a God who is a covenant God. What I love about this verse is God is asking for their obedience and outlying uh, the covenant before he's even given them the full terms of the covenant. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and every one of us here have a responsibility in salvation... You will be, I love this phrase, you will be my treasured possession. In the Hebrew, it is the king's treasure or the king's possession. And in ancient times, all of the treasure throughout a kingdom belonged to the king. It was at the disposal of the king. But then there was what they called the king's treasure or there was what they claimed to be the treasured possession. And although they may have amassed great treasure throughout the kingdom, and although that may have been all at the disposal of the king, his treasured possession was his most valued and prized treasure of all the treasure. And he often kept that very close in his chambers. It's the promise of Israel. If you will, I will. You will be to me what? My treasured possession. I will keep you close. I will value you above all others. Let's keep reading on. Uh, Did we not read this morning that God is sovereign over us? But more about that as we touch on the life of a man in the Old Testament. But we read here, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. This earth belongs to God. If you were sold a theology that says, well, you know, God handed all dominion and power to man, and then at the fall, man handed it all over to the enemy, now the enemy's just doing whatever he wants, I want you to know God is the sovereign God who upholds the universe by the power of his hand. Uh, We're going to touch on Job in a moment before we finish today, but what the first chapters of Job teach us is that the enemy may be operating at the moment, but he does so inside of the boundaries that God sets. And we should no longer be focused on the one who operates inside the boundaries. We need to move our focus away from the one who operates inside the boundaries and place all of our focus on the one who sets the boundaries. May our prayer meetings be filled with praying to God alone. Focused on God alone. I take great courage and encouragement from the book of Job, because I understand that 
God is the one who holds me in his hand. More about that in a moment. For the earth is mine and you shall be to me. I love this part. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And what did God mean by that? So each and every one of us here, we have our own individual calling. God has a calling on each and every one of our lives. And I want to encourage you to discover what that is. Don't ask me what your calling is, because I don't know. Don't ask the person next to you what your calling is. Ask God what your calling is. And ask him to unfold that for you. More about that later on. But inside of that, we as a corporate body of Christ, we have a singular purpose. And that is that we are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Those two things are somewhat the same, but also different. A kingdom of priests means that we have the purpose and the calling of God to manifest his glory, his power, his love, and his grace to a lost world. We are called to be mediators between a lost and unholy world and a holy, holy God. We have an ultimate mediator, the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ who mediates between us and God. And we are called to be a holy nation. And that call is to be different, to be separate, to use a word from a song that we used to sing once. I don't know if anybody can ever remember the song, I'm Peculiar. I know it's easy to believe with some of us, right? (laughs) You can say goodbye to Russell after that. (laughs) But we are called to be different. We're not called... uh, Is there a difference between us and the world? Is there a difference between the church and the world? There must be. We can't take worldly principles and and try to run God's church. We can't do that. A holy nation are those who are not conformed to the world but rather seek to conform the world into the pattern of Christ. We are very quickly coming to the point that I wanted to make this morning because God wants to teach us something about leaving base camp. The journey, by the way, the rest of Exodus is all around the mountain. It's about the giving of the law, it's about the giving of the covenant, it's about setting down the tabernacle and all those things. So everything that happens from 19 onwards surrounds what's happening now. Of course, next week we we move into the Ten Commandments and all of those things. But God wants to teach us some things about him. Let's shoot down to verse 9. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, and the people said, we will do, uh, Moses takes the words of the people, people say, you know what, we will do what God has told us. We, we will do everything the Lord has asked of us. Uh, doesn't last long, by the way. Uh, but we will do everything that God has told us. And uh, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today. Now that consecration for them looked like you must wash your garments and keep away from your wife. Now that doesn't mean today that consecration looks like you go home and do the laundry and stay away from your wife for three days. Uh, The whole process of consecration, there were rituals and there were ceremonies, but the idea was to get your focus, your attention and your heart off the things of the world and in the right place. And as we see through the Old Testament, those, those ceremonies and those rituals, they change over time. 
Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready. Be ready for the third day. From the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. I love that verse. Here's what God didn't say to Israel. When you guys get to the promised land, I'll meet you there. That's not what God said. When you guys clean your act up and you get everything sorted, and you know, meet me in the promised land. That's not what God said. God says, I will meet you in the wilderness. I'll meet you right where you're at. Now, there's some interesting verses. Here's what God says. And you shall set limits for the people all around. I don't know if anybody is old enough in this room to remember. I don't know if anybody here was alive in 1986. I know you touched Ross, and I think you might be right. I don't know if anybody... Nobody here looks like you were alive in 1986. But there was an enormously profound event that happened on the 26th of April, 1986. Does anybody know what it was? That's right, neither did I until I looked it up. It was the uh, Chernobyl disaster. Um. That has only happened twice in the history of mankind, uh, Chernobyl and Fukushima, uh, when, the, when the nuclear reactor melted down. And, of course, we know that Chernobyl, the, uh, the number four reactor, melted down. Now, it melted down due to, yes, it melted down due to uh, mechanical error, but mostly due to human error. And the reality of that whole disaster was that only a handful of people actually died in the initial explosion. It's only a handful. But hundreds of people died afterwards from... Yeah, from radiation. Now, two weeks after the, Fukush- uh, the Fukushima or the Chernobyl disaster, two weeks after that's happened, if I said to you, hey, listen, I need you to go right to where the number four reactor is and grab something for me. I left my phone there, and if you could just go and... How many of... Would you just waltz on in? You would take time and you would prepare yourself. Why? Because radiation can consume you. God wants to teach Israel something and it's a lesson that everybody in the church today, I believe, should be refreshed and to know and that's, this is it. God's holiness is nuclear. God's holiness, God's glory and God's presence is nuclear. And if we for any moment think that we can just flippantly wander in and out of the presence of God, What God is teaching us is there is a way that you must treat me. You see, what they did after the Chernobyl disaster, what they quickly did was they set up an exclusion zone with a 30-kilometre radius. How many people know that was nowhere near enough for what happened there, right? And, of course, we've seen the news reports and the dumping concrete and all that sort of stuff. It's only today that people are starting to go back and wander in there more freely than they used to. There's there's reports of huge fish. I've booked my trip. But, you know, when you... uh, and, And, by the way, nobody that's been there walked out afterwards looking green and really muscly. So that, that, that movie must be wrong. <laughs> but they quickly realised 30 kilometres is nowhere near enough and they set up an exclusion zone that covered the area of 2,600 square kilometres. And it wasn't because of any harm that we might do, it was because radiation will kill us. If you are exposed to radiation, it's going to have an effect on you. And the intensity of that radiation 
was off the charts at Chernobyl. I think it's something like 200 gigahertz is enough to seriously make us ill. And best conservative estimates were 20,000 gigahertz near the, where the reactor melted down. But the truth of scripture is this, that our God is a holy, holy, holy God. And if you put God's holiness and sin in the same spot, there is an explosion, friends. I've got some good news this morning. Before we finish, I've got some really, really good news. But here's the truth. If you today, I need everybody in the room, if you today are clothed in your sin and you all of a sudden are in the presence of a holy, holy God, you will be consumed. And as a church and as a people of God, we have to grab the fact that we can't just treat God flippantly. I think the most powerful words that are used here is, and you shall set limits for all the people saying what? Saying, take care. How many of us had a brawl with a cat before we came to church this morning? How many of us, uh, you know, how many, how much preparation do we put into coming into the presence of God? We, we want to be people that carry the presence of God, right? I, 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 there's testimonies of Smith Wigglesworth. He carried the presence of God so powerfully wherever he went that he went into a hospital to visit a friend in hospital. By the way, left him in there. It's a story for another day. But he, walking out of the hospital, walked past a Catholic priest sitting on the bench. Didn't look at him. Might have been one of your brothers, Neil. But didn't look at him, didn't say a word. But as he walked past, the man falls on his knees and confesses his sins. Yeah. And the secret to carrying the presence of God is living a life that takes care how we treat him. And, you know, in, in, in the days, the weeks, the months, the years that followed Chernobyl, uh, these guys dressed up in all of these fancy suits, but they still got acute radiation sickness because the suits weren't good enough. And, and we're still trying to build our own suits so that we can make ourselves good enough to come into the presence of God. And, and we'll, we'll construct all of these programs and we'll put all this together. And if I just do this, this and this, I can build all of these suits. But the reality is we need to be clothed only in the robes of Christ or we can never approach this holy God. That's the message of Scripture. But that's the good news of the gospel. Those robes are free today for all of us. Let's keep reading on. Take care not to go up to the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. God's not mucking around. Are you playing games with God this morning? Because God's not playing games here. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Stoned means something a little bit different in Bible times than it does today. Uh, Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them. And they washed their garments and he said to the people, be ready for the third day, do not go near a woman. We'll just leave that right where it is and keep moving on. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud 
on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. May God's presence be the only presence that we tremble in. Far too many Christians today tremble at the wrong presence. We don't need to fear what man may do. We don't need to be worried about what the enemy may do. We take guard, yes. We need to be on guard. We need to be watchful, yes. Yes, our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, which is why God wants us all in a congregation. Let's have a look at the first church service, shall we? And all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. There are two purposes for God's people to be congregated. To hear his voice and to meet with God. And I pray that God would use every, everything we do here at The Rock, I pray that God would use that so that each and every one of us would meet God. Yeah. My heart is through worship and through his word and through fellowship that we would meet, encounter God. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, here's something, Moses spoke and God answered. Moses is having a conversation with God like we have a conversation with each other. And scripture reveals, and what Moses is highlighting here in our relationship with God, is that there is a vast difference between union and communion. We ask the question, what was the difference with Moses? And for all of us that are saying, you know what, I don't want to be a, a base camp Christian anymore. Uh, I, I want to know what it is to, to go to the top of the mountain. I want to know what it is to be in the presence of God. I want to be closer and closer and closer to God. That's available to each and every one of us. And there is a difference between union and communion. Let me try and help you to understand this for a moment. Uh, my oldest daughter, for, for many years, she, she lived in our house and we had, not only did we have union, family connection, but we also had communion because she was in the house and, and we were fellowshipping and, and praise God, there came a time when she moved out. <laughs> and now that she's had my grandson, she can come back, right? Uh, but... But the moment she moved out, the union was never broken. But the communion hasn't been the same. We still see each other. We still get together. Does the word union or communion best describe your relationship with the Lord today? Have you drifted away? If we fast forward 2,000 years, our wonderful Lord and Saviour Jesus, he came to remove those exclusion zones. After Christ 
breathed his last, we read in the Gospels that the veil was torn from top to bottom. All of the exclusion zones had been removed. And so the question I have today is, who is the one? You see, what we read in Exodus 19 is, God is saying to the people of Israel, you can come so far, but no further. So far, but no further. He's not saying that to Moses, by the way. But he says to the people of Israel, you can come so far, but no further. And how sad it is today. That so many people in the church of Jesus Christ are saying to God, you can come so far but no further. I want to encourage everybody to leave base camp. The difference between Moses is maybe what we forget or maybe what we didn't know that was picked up by the writer to the Hebrews, is that there are some things that set Moses apart. Let's read what the writer to the Hebrews had to say about Moses. Moses, uh, It says, Moses, when he was grown up, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, that's a profound statement. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What Moses teaches us, what God teaches us, is that the journey between base camp and the top of the mountain, sometimes there's a price that's got to be paid. And thank you, Kate, for highlighting the price that Christ outlined for each one of us. We forget those words. We forget the words that Jesus said, anybody who comes after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The word follow in that gospel, gospel of Luke chapter 9, the word follow means to cleave to hold on to. 2,000 years ago, Jesus removed all the exclusion zones and he did not reduce God's holiness. Jesus didn't reduce God's standard. Jesus did not water down God's holiness. Jesus didn't all of a sudden do anything like that. But what he did do is he elevated every one of us. He didn't bring God's standard down. He raised us up to stand in his standard. I'm going to give you a couple of examples before we go home today. I'm going to ask Karen if she could softly play in the background, but here's maybe a gospel you're not always told. I encourage everybody here to pursue Christ. I I, I encourage everybody here to, to lay hold of Christ, but I wonder how many of our stories sound like some of the stories we find in the Bible. Let's just take a couple of examples really quickly this morning as we come to a close. Most of us know the story of Joseph, right? When we meet Joseph, Joseph is a snotty-nosed, spoilt little 17-year-old brat. Daddy had showed him far too much favour, put him in these funny-looking coats. But Joseph has a couple of dreams. And he has a dream that uh, he will be in authority over his brothers. He has another dream that he'll be in authority over his dad. His dad rebukes him. Now, when we meet Joseph at 17, God already has in mind second in charge in Egypt. Egypt. 
And God will bring Joseph close to him. And I'll tell you what words prove that in a moment. He will bring Joseph so close to him. But here's the journey from base camp to the top of the mountain for Joseph. Who would have known that that journey was going to involve deep betrayal? It was going to involve a pit. It was going to involve slavery. It was going to involve mistreatment and injustice and imprisonment for something he didn't do. How many people missed that part out? There's a price to be paid. And we know that he was, he got it. We know that he got it because when Jacob dies and all of his brothers pack a darky, he comes to them and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. You didn't bring me here. God did. As I unfold some of these stories, I wonder whether they resonate with some of us in this room. Maybe we're already on that journey. Maybe God's already taking us on that journey of bringing us closer to him. Let's have a look at the book of Job. Here's one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible, is the book of Job. But let's have a look at his story for just a brief moment. When we're introduced to Job, he's a, he's a holy and blameless man. He's a man, and I'm going to give you a verse that proves all this in a moment, but he's a man that knows of God but still lives at distance. Yes, he's offering all of his sacrifices. He's offering sacrifices for his kids. He's doing all the right things. And the book of Job is not some great big poker game between God and the enemy. That's not what that's about. It's about God moving one man from base camp to the top of the mountain. And the road in between was God stripping everything away from him. And his three friends turn up and say, you've sinned. Confess your sins and repent. And God rebukes the three friends. And says, you don't know me you don't know the truth and then God speaks and he asks Job 69 questions and Job answers and he says I've uttered things that no man ever should and here's how I know that Job was moved from base camp to the top of the mountain because chapter 42 verse 5 says up until now I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you Job got it Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus takes three disciples, Peter, James and John, up the Mount of Transfiguration. What those three men saw on the top of that mountain revolutionised their lives. It fills the second epistle of Peter. He says, he speaks about the glorious mountain. But those three guys... When they were at the bottom of the mountain, they thought they knew Jesus. We know Jesus. We've seen the healings. We've seen the miracles. We've heard the teachings. But when they got to the top of the mountain, they saw a completely different Jesus. When I read Exodus 19, I realised that I'm far too far down the mountain for my own liking. And so I ask everybody here today, to come on a journey with me and with, with the church but mostly with the Lord you see when we look back down through history 
and we look at all of the saints like Wigglesworth and all these other guys and all these other wonderful women, read the biography of a woman called Maria Woodworth Edda. If anybody has ever read the biography of Maria Woodworth Edda, uh, profound what God did in her life. I think, I think last count she lost 10 children. But whoa, how God moved through her. And often when we look back through history, we go, well, they're just the special anointed ones that God raised up for a particular purpose, but they were the ones that simply paid the price. And the price is this. God has moved and determined to move us to be his treasured possession, and the call upon the church is to move God to be our treasured possession. I don't care how much wealth you have. I don't care how many possessions you have. I don't care how high you are in your career. All of those things are wonderful. God bless you. But this morning, I pray that this treasured possession would be God. Some years ago, I prayed a very dangerous prayer. And that prayer was, Lord, sanctify yourself as holy in my heart. Because that's what Peter says in his epistle. He says, sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart. And what that means is to take God from the commonplace to the very special place. I want to encourage you today that if you do that, watch what God does in your life. I'm going to close in prayer and and Karen's going to continue to pray. And I want to ask you today where you're at. Maybe, Maybe you've never left Egypt today. Maybe you left Egypt some time ago, but you've drifted back. Maybe you're standing at the bottom of that mountain saying, Lord, I want to come up. Wherever you are in your journey today, uh, if you need prayer this morning, then the prayer team, the elders and myself are, are waiting to pray with you. Let's close in prayer. Father, today, Jesus, I, I thank you because we could never have made ourselves righteous or worthy to approach a holy and glorious God. But Jesus, you have made the way for us. Jesus, we take every step towards God on blood-stained stones that you have trod before us. Thank you that you have rescued us. Thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you have taken down the walls that separated us. Thank you, Jesus, that at one point there was a chasm between us and Almighty God, but you have closed that gap. Father, I pray today that you would draw each one of us ever closer to you. May we, like Moses, make a choice to forsake the foothills of this world, Lord God, and to press ever deeper into your presence. In your wonderful name we pray this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, 
subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.